Well, welcome to FIA Market Voice Podcast. I'm Walt Lucan, FIA's President and CEO, and I'm thrilled to have Lynn Martin, the President and President of NYC Group. Uh, Lynn, it's it's so awesome to be with you here today. It's so much fun to be with you, Walt. I know, this is exciting. Um, well, Lynn's background, uh, she's the 68th uh, President of the New York Stock Exchange, and we're thrilled to have her and the second female to hold mm-hmm. that position. Yep. But she has a long career in markets and technology and brings a tremendous background to this job. So Lynn, um, before we get going, you know, the day you found out <laughs> that you were going to take this job, this has got to be mo- one of the more iconic roles in finance. <clears throat> Um, where were you? How did you? What happened? How did, how did you find out you were going to take on this position? Well, Walt, it's great to be with you. How I mean, I think we've worked together in some way, shape or form for probably 15 years now. So it's always fun to chat with you about everything related to markets and technology and all the trends that continue to, to face us. So thanks for thanks for coming in today. No, absolutely. Um, you know, the day that I was offered the role of president of the New York Stock Exchange. It's, as you say, one of those iconic positions, one of those unique positions that when you're when you receive the call, you'll never forget where you were. Uh, Jeff Sprecher, the chair and CEO of ICE, was the one who offered me the position, and he asked if he could get on my calendar later in the day to chat about something. I was running our fixed income and data services segment at at ICE, a business that I had run for about seven years. And uh, I, of course, knowing Jeff, thought that he had 15 questions about my existing business. So came prepared with a bunch of notes to talk about things going on in our existing business. And he said, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm not really interested in talking about that. I wanted to see if you'd be interested in running the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. And was there an immediate reaction? <laughs> was it, I need to think about it? Or yes, or did you scream? Um, you know, just curious what your I was, was. You know, like like most, uh, like, like many people, I was a bit confused uh, at first. It was more like I was I was going into a conversation expecting one set of questions. So when I was asked that question, the question just threw me off guard because my headspace wasn't wasn't there. I was thinking about the amazing two and a half billion dollar business that had taken seven years to build and curate and was had a ton of momentum and still does have a tremendous amount of momentum going into in into it. And I was more just. I was confused at the question as to where it came from, but then I was also thinking and asked, okay, well, what about my existing business? What right. what happens to that business? Um, right. It was a business and still is a business that I care an awful lot about. A lot of sweat equity went into building that business. And um, I was very... I was very curious as to what his thoughts were about, okay, well, who was going to take on the day-to-day on, in that business. Yeah, and you continued in that role for a period of time, correct? Yeah, I'm yeah. still I'm still chair of that yeah. of that business. Um, it is now moving over with the start of uh, 2024 to a longtime colleague of mine, Chris Edmonds, uh, who is well known to the FIA community. Yes, we know him well. Uh, given all of his great work in futures and clearing and market structure related matters, uh, he's going to be 
at the helm starting in January of, of next year. I'm really looking forward to working with him in that in that role. Well, tell me a little bit. I mean, the NYC group is not just the New York Stock Exchange. It's mm-hmm. it's many exchanges, <laughs> many businesses within that group. So tell me what is included in yeah. your role overseeing that. And what's a typical day-to-day <laughs> for you? I'm just curious. Yeah, so NYC group is five different equity exchanges. There's NYC, ARCA, American, National, and Chicago. And then we've got two options, exchanges. Uh, it keeps the day moving, I think, is probably the right way to phrase it. Every day is different. There's no day that is a mirror image of each other being in this role. I spend my days talking to our listed companies, looking at system performance on the trading side, thinking about what new products, what innovative ideas we can bring out into equity markets to continue to add transparency, resiliency, things of that nature. First two years have also been really focused on completing our rollout of our state-of-the-art technology platform, which is our NYSE pillar platform. It's a project that my predecessors, Tom Farley and Stacey Cunningham, had embarked on during their tenure. And my job was to to wrap it up and get our two options exchanges completed in terms of their migration. Uh, Couldn't be more excited about the performance of of that platform now that we've rolled out the platform to the market. But given all the volatility in the market, it really depends on what the issue of the day is. And is that something where my attention needs to be more focused on looking at our trading platform or being on the phone with our existing issuers, our existing listed companies, or talking about the amazing pipeline of prospects that we have that will tap the public markets when the markets reopen. Well, I want to talk and I'd love to get to, you know, the state of the capital markets and get your views on that. But, you know, the amazing part of your role is it is part head of state, part market regulator, part, um, you know, business technologist. Um, I'm just curious from your vantage point, what what are you passionate about? What is the best part of your job in, in the two years that you've been in this role? say the best part of my job has really been being able to have the position that I have to advance the reliability, resiliency, and safety of our markets. This the the transparency associated with the US equity markets are unparalleled. The ability for a company to go public and raise capital, that's unparalleled in mm-hmm. the US. So protecting that is what I think of as my day-to-day job more than anything else. And doing so in a way that protects investors, so ensuring that our companies, the companies listed on the New York Stock Exchange, adhere to the gold standard of regulation and qualify for the gold standard of regulation, ensuring that the markets remain transparent, they remain open, they remain performant, allowing those investors to manage risk in the most efficient way possible. And then importantly, talking to our regulators and policymakers to ensure that we don't lose sight of the fact that the US capital markets are the envy 
of the world. So let's not introduce policies and regulation that may cause a company to stop and think for a moment about should they tap the U.S. public markets or should they bring their company to a market that is not based in the U.S.? And I know you travel quite a bit in your job. Um, When you go around the world to Brussels, to the EU, to I'm going to Beijing next month, but it's very difficult to build a strong capital market and they are struggling to do it. Um, It's a fragile thing that needs protecting. I I liked how you put it, that you're sort of steward of these Mm -hmm. markets Mm -hmm. to make sure that they continue to thrive. Mm -hmm. You must experience that though when you talk to your European colleagues asking about what's the secret sauce? How do you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that our markets are 231 years old in the U.S. and have now withstood multiple shocks and multiple macroeconomic events. So the U.S. markets have been built in reaction to a variety of events that have hit the, the U.S., but importantly, they can pride themselves on the fact that they've remained open, allowing for efficient risk management. Yeah. I I do want to ask you about what's been the biggest surprise. So, you know, I I remember taking on certain roles and something you didn't even know you you were supposed to be doing a responsibility is maybe a big part of the job. What's been the biggest surprise in this role for you? I would say the biggest surprise in the role has been how quickly a very vibrant IPO market shut. Yeah. Probably a couple of weeks into my job. Um, I was, when I was offered the position in the third quarter of 2021, the US IPO markets were booming. The amount of capital raised, I think, in that year in public markets was nearly half a trillion dollars. That has been a fraction of, of, the last couple of years have been a fraction of that number, a small fraction of that number. And you saw that happen in January of 2022 when volatility started to seep into the market. Volatility led by macroeconomic uncertainty, Fed policy, um, exacerbated by wars and international conflicts that we've seen. So I would say that was more the biggest surprise that I wasn't going to be spending as much time with potential IPO candidates, potential listings candidates. And instead, I was pivoting more towards talking about the reliability and resiliency of the market, as well as continuing to ensure that our technology upgrades, that our technology could handle what results from increased volatility in markets, which is increased messaging traffic. So two years since the pandemic's um, you know, end and, and uh, your technology build is, is done now. How yeah. does the IPO pipeline now look? Is it, is it looking brighter um, for you? I think in 2023, you saw a lot of encouraging signs. You did see some IPOs in the market, some large IPOs in the market. We saw a reopening of the market really in Q2 of this year. Um, a lot of green shoots as a result of some of the large IPOs that happened in Q2. Think of the can use the Kava savers, um, some of those, but then that continued through Q3 when we welcomed um, Clavio, which was the first software company to go public since the 2021 
um, boom in the public markets. And then more recently, we saw Birkenstock uh, go live. The important thing on all of the deals I just mentioned, deals got done at size. Hmm. So I think that's really encouraging for the IPO markets in 2024. We're working with a tremendous amount of companies in our pipeline that are telling us, okay, when the calendar year flips to 2024, we are going to tap the market. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about your background because people may not know how you got to this role. And it's, <laughs> it's a fascinating path, I think. And I, like I said, you're very much a student of markets and, mm-hmm. and technology. So um, you started with sort of a STEM background. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a bit about you know, your schooling and how did you end up in this role? Yeah, I, uh, I got a, I received a bachelor's degree in computer science. Um, and as any good computer science major does, my first job was in the tech industry. So I went to go work for IBM in their global services practice where I was writing code um, as my first job. What language was oh, code gosh, was I'm gonna totally then? I'm gonna totally date myself. So I used Pascal. I Again Pascal completely yeah. well importantly my first I I exited university and started my career around the dot com era. Yeah. People like to talk about the dot com era but also forget this little project that we were all working on called Y2K. That's right. So I was using a lot of legacy language around that. But then I also used C, which C is a great language, especially if you're looking to interact with processors, the machine processors and the registries. Um, and it's very close to machine language. Yeah. Um, so I, those were the languages that I coded in. Uh, and then I just became more interested in the evolution of markets. So it was really the markets bug was something that really bit me. I was so fascinated by the fact that people were using machines to communicate with markets increasingly. Uh, So I joined the Life Exchange, London Financial Futures Exchange, again, a name not known to to, to many folks in 2001 when it was going through the process of going electronic. What attracted me to the job was clearly the markets bug um, yeah. and the fact that I was so interested in markets. What interested them in, in me as a potential candidate was the fact that I could talk to a programmer who was coding to our APIs at yeah. the time. So that's how I got into the exchange industry, starting with the futures markets, because not only did I have a background in computer science, but I also have a degree in statistics, a master's degree in statistics. So mathematical models to me are also things that are incredibly fascinating. So you can talk with the nerds like the best of us. (laughs) I'm a self-proclaimed nerd, by the way. (laughs) So... Yeah. I love a good in the weeds technical <laughs> conversation. Yeah. It's my happy place. <laughs> well, you did mention you you sort of grew up in the derivatives world yeah. um in futures, completely different market structure. Um you know, it has more of a vertical model of how you trade where the exchange and the clearinghouse are owned first by one entity versus mm. the equities markets which mm-hmm. has more of a mutualized mm-hmm. clearinghouse mm-hmm. um world. Um, I'm just curious, as you have now had a foot in both of those camps, 
what have you brought from the derivatives markets to this role in the equities markets? And where do you see the benefits of, of both marketplaces? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different products. So, and that's become super apparent to me, both yeah. from a market structure standpoint, but also the underlying product itself. So if you look at the futures products, as you point out, well, it's a vertically integrated model, but there are these things called deliveries that do happen at the expiration of many contracts, which makes the vertical integration a must to ensure that smooth delivery in terms of, you know, be it a basket of treasuries that you may deliver or barrels of oil or uh, coffee, cotton, cocoa, whatever the case may be. So uh, that market structure is incredibly important and has added so much benefits, particularly when you look at the products that have moved to that market structure, like a CDS, like the the products that were mandated to clear centrally as a result of Dodd-Frank. The clearinghouse model in the derivatives landscape just adds so much transparency, reliability, and resiliency that it enables the market to withstand a tremendous amount of volatility, be it you know the margining process, the settlement process, the intraday variation margin process. Uh, so I think that market structure has really been designed in response to the way those products have grown up. And because it has been so curated and has withstood so many systemic issues, it is in my opinion, one of the greatest market structures of all time and and will stand the test of, of time. More recently, I spent some time in the fixed income markets, mm-hmm. which the fixed income markets are fascinating to me in that there's a tremendous amount of securities that are issued, many of which don't trade. They don't trade very actively. So you look at, for example, the US municipal market with more than a million securities that are active very few of those trade on any given day, any given month, any given year even. So it's really difficult to find what fair value is. So data is such an incredibly important component to the fixed income markets to add transparency and to help customers not just mark their portfolio, but find what fair value is when they're attempting to liquidate a position. And then you move on the liquidity (laughs) spectrum to probably one of the most liquid markets, if not the most liquid market in the world, which is the US equity markets, which the products are a lot more standardized than if you think about the fixed income markets, but the market structure can be incredibly convoluted with with the routing requirements, what gets done in a dark pool versus what gets done on a lit market. So the market structure there is a little more complex, probably is the right way to to describe it, than some of the other market structures I've been in. So as you've described all these different asset classes, um, you know there there are some people in the marketplace that want to do a one size fits all marketplace and. In your experience and background, it sounds like you believe that there are nuances to different market types that need to be tailored to those assets. Am I putting words in your absolutely. mouth? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. The market structure should follow the products that are trading in the market, in my opinion. There is not a one size fits all. You can't, for example, 
shoehorn some of the fixed income markets into a U.S. equities routing type market structure. They don't fit. The fixed income securities are very different than equity securities. From a risk profile, from the way they trade profile, from an expiration profile, from a liquidity profile, from a variety of, of aspects. You know, it was something that in my previous role, I spent an awful lot of time with the SEC on as I was on the Fixed Income Market Structure Advisory Committee. Mm-hmm of the SEC, and I chaired the Muni uh, Transparency Subcommittee, which is probably why I love the Muni markets <laughs> so much. But it is really important, to, in my opinion, to not force a market structure on a product if it doesn't fit that market structure. Right. And you have several flavors of options markets, in fact, that yep. sort of fit that philosophy, correct? How many yep. different options markets? We have two different options two different, markets. Yeah. 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 Well, I did want to ask um, about your leadership style. Um, so Forbes has named you one of its most powerful women um, in finance. And, uh, you know, because of this leadership style that you've brought to the NYSE group. Uh, so tell me a bit about how you approach leadership. Um, and, and clearly something's working because you've been so successful. But what is your leadership style and what would you say distinguishes you from other leaders? So. I'd say a good way to describe my leadership style is this is a team effort. You need a good team around you. You need to work as a team uh, in order to achieve an outcome. You achieve a lot more together than you do in a single player, a single elimination type tournament. Um, It's one of the things that I pride myself on and it's one of the things that we're passionate about at ICE. It is very important to work as a team and because we work as a team every day, ICE has been able to achieve tremendous success. So it's something that I tend to bring to any of the businesses that that I am fortunate enough to be put in charge of. Well, I mentioned the U.S. capital markets earlier. So um, I think I read today in the Wall Street Journal that 58% of Americans now own securities. Um, That's up from, I think, last year, 52%. And um, so more more Americans are investing in your markets than ever, which is great news. Uh, Today, or I think yesterday, was the fourth record day um, Mm -hmm. uh, here at the NYSE. So I'm, I'm just curious. um, There's a lot of good signs about our capital markets. But as we mentioned, they're fragile. Mm Um, what's your state, you know, your state of the union for the capital markets? Are, are they working well? And where would you like to see maybe uh, improvements so that, that that pathway, that on-ramp to the capital markets is a little more um, facilitated? Um, I'm just curious. Uh, I think the capital markets do work incredibly well, particularly the U.S. capital markets. And I'm thrilled to see that there are more and more people that are putting their own investments in the capital markets. In my opinion, you know, those should be long-term investments and you should know what you're investing in and you should have a diversified portfolio. Um, but if you do that and you don't think about, you know, the day-to-day and get so focused on on the day-to-day, typically your investments work out quite well. And that's because of the strong regulation, the strong regulatory framework that is put over the U.S. capital markets in particular. Uh, allowing for ensuring that you know broad participation is is made possible as well as that 
there's good governance in the companies that are listed on the U.S. capital markets. The one area that I think could be addressed, and it's I, I give credit to the to the SEC for attempting to address this, is just the market structure, you know, and continuing to look at the market structure. Reg NMS, which is the market structure that we operate under, was issued back in 2006, I believe. Markets from 2006 look a lot different than they do in 2023. So relying on regulation that is 17 plus years old is probably not adapting to current realities of markets. Uh, the SEC did propose a, mar a market structure overhaul. Um, we commented on that, suggesting that a good portion of those were good for the industry, but we really looked at a pragmatic implementation as to how that would be implemented. The one we felt the most strongly about was tick size mm -hmm. harmonization, uh, meaning that the minimum tick increment that an exchange trades at would match what a dark pool trades at. And importantly, what we suggested from an implementation path was to do that for tick constraint names, so the ones that have the narrowest bid offer spread, right. which would lend themselves to a finer increment being traded on exchange. And hopefully more transparent liquidity as a Absolutely. result of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about sort of the day-to-day -day operations here. I mean, clearly running the NYSE group is a lot of work, but also there's must be a strategic vision, a, a, a an imprint that you want to put mm -hmm. on the NYSE group when you leave. Tell me a bit more about the strategic um, thoughts of what you want to do here at NYSE group as part of the Intercontinental Exchange? You know, one of the things that I've been very focused on is modernizing, uh, continuing the modernization path of the yep. NYSE. You know, the first, the first area is the completion of the pillar migration, uh, but continuing to use technology to invest in our business and make the humans that interact with our technology even more effective and more efficient. In my mind, the combination of humans interacting with technology is the way the most tech forward organizations work. And you've seen that multiple times uh, through evolution. If you don't have a human interacting with the technology, the technology can go awry. Uh, so in my mind, that's that's the main focus of ours at the moment. I'm just curious, how, how, is, how do technological innovations bubble up, like what is the incubator at NYSC? I mean, there, there's talk of AI, there's mm -hmm. talk of blockchain, all these interesting concepts. You're a technologist. Yeah. Um, how, how do you experiment? How do you think about these things strategically? Well, we, we do it in a responsible fashion because we have a very different role in the yeah. markets at NYSE. You're we flying can't, the plane yeah, right now. We can't, yeah. And we can't just throw the latest, greatest technology just to generate a buzzword into, right. into our ecosystem. So it's got to be battle tested. It's got to be something that goes through a lab, for lack of a better description, to ensure that it enhances the transparency, reliability, resiliency of our markets. Yeah. 
Well, we'll end, um, Lynn. I know what a great, and you're sort of in the mid-flight of your career, but just looking back over the last 20-plus years, like what are you most proud of in your current role? And I'm just curious with such an illustrious um, career, what, what sort of stands out? I would say a couple of things stand out. I am proud when we try things that add transparency to markets. Now, Walt, you and I worked on one of those things together, which was New York Portfolio Clearing, which added transparency to the way risk management was done across yeah. interest rates. Um, anytime, a decade too soon. Decade yes. too soon. Yes. Anytime an innovation can be brought to the market that adds transparency, in my mind, is a win. Yeah. Well, that was one of the most... Uh, fun and energetic parts of my career and I loved working with you. You're such a great colleague and teammate as you mentioned. So thank you so much for being a part of the FIA Market Voice podcast and congratulations on such an important role in our markets. Thanks for having me. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal, or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual, or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties, or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast content. Reliance on the podcast contents is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale, or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2022 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.